In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. This is the second Sunday of Easter. We have a week of weeks of Easter, that is 49 days, until we conclude with the 50th day, which we call Pentecost. And so while we had 40 days of Lent, and that could have seemed like a long season to many of us, Easter is even longer. We have even more time to celebrate and to contemplate the mystery of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so that is our task during this season. Our task is to uh, focus our minds and to contemplate the mystery of the resurrection. The resurrection was promised to us uh, a thousand years almost uh, from before the time of Christ. The prophet Isaiah in around 800 BC uh, tells us about the coming of the Messiah and he promises about his resurrection and our participation in that resurrection. The prophet Isaiah says, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. The earth will give birth to the dead. These are the promises by the prophet Isaiah, and these are the promises that Christ fulfills. He fulfills that promise that those who had been dead in the Lord will rise again. And indeed, on the day of Easter, on the day of resurrection, we read that many rose from the graves and appeared to those who were alive in Jerusalem. And so the resurrection was made known uh, in that very moment. This is the promise that we are given, that we will participate in the resurrection of the dead, that we too will be alive forevermore with these resurrected spiritual bodies. And Isaiah teaches us how it is that we come in to participate with Christ in that resurrection. He teaches us uh, how it is that our hearts and minds are to be transformed. He says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. That is that when our minds are stayed on Christ, when our minds are stayed on the will of God, when we participate in the will of God by focusing our minds upon his will, the result is, the consequence of that focus is peace. We get peace when we're focused upon God and his blessings to us. The world would have us focus on all kinds of other things, wouldn't they? They'd have us focus on problems. The world would have us focus on disaster. The world would have us focus on difficulty and on strife and tell us that we don't care because we don't focus on those things. While what the scriptures tell us over and over again is that we are to be focused upon God, upon His righteous judgment, and by doing that, we will participate in His very peace. And indeed, it's more than just a mental exercise. It's more than us centering our minds upon the resurrection and upon the will of God. It's about allowing our very souls, our innermost beings, our very innermost person to begin to hunger for the will of God. We all know what that's like to be up late at night and to have our souls yearn for something, right? Our souls can yearn for many things. They can yearn for other people. They can yearn for glory and financial success and all kinds of things. We can yearn for victories, whether they be political or otherwise. And so our hearts can desire things. And what the Lord is telling us is that the desire of our hearts need to be on the Lord himself. The prophet Isaiah says, My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. So we're not just focused in our minds upon God, but we're allowing our souls to earnestly seek 
for Christ himself to come among us and for the Holy Spirit himself to dwell within us. That is to be the desire of both our hearts and our minds. This is the desire that St. Thomas uh, gives to the rest of the apostles as they're gathered. He has this desire for the risen Lord. When the Lord first appears to the disciples, he comes into the upper room where they were afraid, and what he offers them is peace. This is that same peace that the prophet Isaiah promises. He says, peace be with you. And the peace that he offers is not a peace of tranquility and relaxation where he says, hey, be at peace, take it easy, don't worry about it. This is the peace that the world offers us, right? A kind of peace of relaxation, if you will. The peace that the Lord offers is a peace of being sent forth to do the work that he did. He says, peace be with you as I was sent, so I am sending you. That should make us all say, uh-oh. Because look at what happened to Jesus when the Father sent him, right? He's crucified. He suffers for that sending. We too are sent out into the world. And what are we sent to do? We're sent to forgive sins. This is the basic foundation of what we do in the church. If you remember our wonderful baptisms last week, the first thing that we asked those that were baptized to do was to reject Satan and to choose the way of God. That's repentance, right? Repentance is to say, oh, I had been living my life this way. I'm going to start living my life this way. And when we do that, when we turn from evil and we turn towards good, the Lord's promise always, the church's promise always is forgiveness. That is, the Lord says, I'm not going to hold against you what you did, but I'm going to give you all that you need to do this good work that you've undertaken. That's the power of forgiveness. He also says you cannot forgive. What does that mean? That means if somebody says, I'm not really sure if I want to change. Or what I was doing wasn't so bad, right? People come and ask many times about confession and they'll say, would you really keep uh, you know, confidential what somebody has told you in confession, even if they're uh, planning to do evil? And I'll say, then if you think that somebody can leave confession and still plan to do evil, you don't understand confession. That's not what we're doing there. What we're doing is we're saying what I had done is not right and I want to make amends. I want to have a fresh start. I want to uh, make right what I can make right. We can't always make right, but if there's anything in our power to do so, this is what we do in repentance. And so we're always rejecting what we had done before and choosing what the Lord gives us to do. And the church is always calling people into repentance. We're always calling people to say, let's stop doing what we have done and let's focus our hearts and our minds upon Christ. And when we do that, when we participate in that repentance and forgiveness, we receive the firm peace of Christ. We receive that peace that passes all understanding. And this is what Thomas was so hungry for. This is what he was so upset about. He missed the reception of that peace and that ordination, if you will, that the disciples get. Jesus ordains all of those who are in that room. He says, I'm sending you out to do the work of apostles. I'm sending you out to do the work of the church. This is what we are all called to do as a priesthood of all believers. And Thomas missed seeing the risen Lord. Sometimes people give Thomas a bad rap and they call him a doubter and all kinds of other names. Which one of us, if we had been in that room and missed Jesus, wouldn't have come back and said, What? I missed him? 
And everybody say, yeah, he's risen. And wouldn't any of us say, how can I believe the way that you believe having not been there? Not one of us wouldn't have said the same thing, hopefully. Not one of us wouldn't have had a strong desire and a yearning to have seen the risen Lord. And so many of us set such a high bar for faith, don't we? We, we say, I don't have the faith of other people. What my faith would require would be something extraordinary. My faith is so weak, I would require some fantastic miracle, right? We hear people say this over and over again. I'd have to have something really wonderful to have faith. And so Thomas sets this really high bar. He says, if I don't put my hands into the side of the Savior, I won't be able to believe. And of course, it's not... That that's required for Thomas. As soon as Jesus appears to him again on this eighth mysterious day, he instantly cries out the full confession of the church. He declares what we declare in the Nicene Creed every Sunday. My Lord and my God. You're God. That's what Thomas says. And it didn't require to touch Jesus. Jesus simply appears and faith was given to him as a gift. We don't have to struggle to get faith. We don't have to work at it and try to squeeze faith out of our hearts and our minds. The Lord gives it to us as a gift. He appears to each of us. And he appears to each of us at a different time in a different way. It's not going to be the same for any of us. Isn't that wonderful? He's going to appear to each of us at a different time. We're going to hear that still, small voice in the quiet of the night. We're going to see him in the face of someone that we love. We're going to meet him on the road in great suffering. We're going to call out to him in a night of great urgency. And he's going to appear and he's going to speak to us each at a different way in a different time so that we might have that faith and that peace that passes understanding. And what St. John does again in this letter, now we get two readings from St. John, we got his gospel in chapter 20, now he's writing to us again in this first letter that we have in chapter 5, he says, faith is our victory. Because when we have faith, that is when we perceive the will of God and we do it, that's how complex faith is, like Abraham, we perceive the will of God and we do it, he says, when we have faith, we have the victory. We've won. Because we have realized what God has called us to do, and we're willing to do it. Now we are living in Him. We're living in Christ. And we've won the victory of salvation. We've won the victory of the resurrection. We've won the victory of the defeat over death and sin. We're participating in God's victory. And St. John takes faith for us, and he kind of, he kind of twists it. Have you ever had a big rope that had many cords in it and you took a hold of that rope and you turned it against its grain so that the cords that make up that strong rope kind of pull apart a little bit? You turn it the wrong way and you can see all those many cords that go to make up that strong rope? That's what St. John's doing. He's twisting that rope for us and he's saying, look at what faith looks like on the inside. He says, what faith looks like on the inside is believing the gospel, believing that Jesus died and that you can participate with him in his resurrection. He says, you have the victory in faith when you understand the gospel message. And he says, that's belief. And then he says, do you see belief when you have belief, when you understand your participation in the resurrection, then you're acting and living in love. He says, those that believe love God and love their neighbor. 
And then he says, in case you were wondering what love looks like, let's keep twisting that rope. Because some people think love is this warm feeling in my heart, and it's kind of this puppy dog crush love, and it's this strong emotion. That's not love at all. St. John says love is keeping the commandments of God. We love him when we are obedient to him. Love is obedience. And now that he's twisted that rope and he showed us how faith leads to belief and how belief is love and love is obedience in the commandments, we understand what the, the writer of the Hebrews meant by this obedience in faith. We are able to be obedient in faith through the love of God. And he says that obedience is so wonderful, is so fantastic, that it's never a burden. When I think of burden, I think of the work of a prisoner. You know, we used to make prisoners do really hard physical labor. We used to make them split rocks. We would have them go out into rock yards and we'd have them use chisels and hammers and they'd have to split open rocks. That's what I think of when I think of burdensome labor. And I remember having to do what I thought was burdensome labor as a young child, having to dig massive rocks out of our backyard here in Henderson. That's all, that's all we had in our neighborhood in Henderson was rocks and more rocks, right? and uh, bemoaning all these rocks. My dad told me about when he moved to Henderson in the 1950s, and he was about 10 years old, and they moved into a house, and his mother said, I'd like to have a rock garden. She was thrilled by the desert southwest. She loved the, the animals. She loved the beauty of the desert southwest. And she had seen some rock gardens here in the southwest. And she said, I'd love to have one just like that. And that's all she had to do was mention it once. Because while most husbands would have said, I don't know where you're going to get that. My grandfather hooked up the trailer and grabbed my dad and got his chisels and his hammers and drove that trailer out into the middle of the desert until they found a geode field and loaded that trailer with geodes and took them and split them with his hammer and chisel to show the quartz that was on the inside of those geodes. And then they used their chisels and hammers to smooth that quartz so that it shone. And when they got it back to their home, they dug down in the dirt in the backyard and they laid those quartz geodes so that that shiny side was smooth and formed a pathway in a garden in the backyard. And labor that would have been a burden to a prisoner was a labor of love. Was a labor of love and beauty. And that's what God does for us. The work to many that could seem like the burden of a prisoner becomes the joy and beauty for those that we love. May the Lord transform our hearts by faith so that the work that he gives us to do is truly a labor of love.